Hello, welcome everyone to the second episode of Grief Bacon. This is a long and um, I'd say wide-ranging conversation with my dear friend Rochelle about um, how it is for us to parent when we weren't given the most ideal um, map from our families of origin. Um, that would have been a that's a much more succinct way to say what I tried to say about 5,000 other less succinct ways in the podcast. Um, anyway, it, uh, as I said, is a long episode, but I think, um, a good one. And I imagine that whether you are a parent or not, you will find it to be, it'll be something that you can relate to. You might find it interesting. Before I get into the podcast, I just want to give a huge shout out to JR from California who sent in a message, an audio message, after listening to the podcast, the first one about being seen. JR, I felt so seen when I got your message. JR said that something he appreciated about the podcast was that it seemed that um, there was no attempt to cater to the audience. And that's exactly true and um, exactly what I'm going for. So um, thank you for recognizing that and also appreciating it. I really really uh, was very grateful for your message. You too can leave us a message um, if there's something that you want to say. I mean, I'm always up for words of affirmation, but uh, it could be feedback that's not affirming. It could be questions. It could be things you want to hear about. Um, anyway, enjoy the episode. Um, I The conversation was so long that I had to edit like our first 10 minutes and our last few minutes but I do want to fill you in. First of all, today is my daughter's fifth birthday. And yesterday when we were recording, I, uh, I shared with Rochelle that right before we got on, I had spent the better part of the evening baking two cakes, one gluten-free and one um, not gluten-free. And uh, the gluten-free one smelled like dog food and the non-gluten-free one I burnt. Um, did I send both of those cakes to kindergarten with my daughter today? Yes, I did. Do I feel good about it? Not really. Am I going to lose sleep over it? I really hope not. Um, but I'm on this kick right now where I'm trying to apologize uh, less for just existing in the world and really save my apologies for the things I really need to apologize for, you know, like my participation and inter interlocking systems of oppression, for example. Um, but I'm going to stop like just apologizing when somebody else bumps into me or when I make a less than perfect cake. So I held my head high and I handed over that dog food smelling cake and that burnt cake with a straight back, making eye contact and literally almost choking on a, I'm sorry, these are not perfect. Now, is it possible that the gluten-free cake only smelled like dog food but actually tastes like heaven? I mean, it's possible. Is it likely? I don't think so. Anyhow, enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. So I wanted to talk to you about parenting, but more specifically, so... Something that that you and I have in common, we had very different childhoods from from what I know, 
but mm -hmm. I think we had a, a, a similar experience that we share is like we had less than ideal childhoods. <laughs> so, um, and I think are both trying to raise our own families in a way that is quite different from the way we were raised. Yes. So I really want to talk about parenting while wounded. Ah. Like being, being like having been a wounded child and then now having our own children and like how we navigate that. Got it. I brought my tissue box. It's sitting right next <laughs> So, so let me see. Let's see. So when I say like parenting while wounded, what's like the very first thing that comes up for you or what, what does that evoke in you? Um, first thing that it came up with or came up for me was, um, like my thinking my, my kids in therapy someday. Like I, I'm a big supporter of therapy and I think everyone should go in, should do it at some point in their life. Um, but I was like, God, I wonder what, what I'm passing down that my kids are going to have to deal with later. And what are they going to say to their therapist? That, that was the first thing that popped into my head. So, yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. I know. I mean, I think like, it's so interesting. I, I think about how many choices that I have made in the way I raise my children, really conscious decisions to do it differently than my parents. But then I also think like my parents made a lot of decisions that to do things differently than their parents. Like they, and on the surface, like it certainly looked very different. Like there was not a lot, there was not a lot about my childhood on the surface that looked like their childhoods, but even without the same framework, like they still actually managed to pass down all the exact same trauma and they just like recreated a lot of the same wounds that they were given from their parents. And, and I, you know, I, I think my parents also didn't approach it have, you know, as intentionally as I have, but, but exactly. That's what I wonder. I think, okay, there's certain things I know I'm doing differently, like unquestionably. And there's a lot of things that if you just give like look at face value definitely are different but i wonder like what are the things that i'm inadvertently recreating oh absolutely all the time i'm wondering that yeah. and even the moment sometimes i'm like oh <laughs> this is one of those things that that's going to rear its ugly head at some point like um i've even tried to talk to my kids about that like hey i'm sorry i blew up in this particular moment because of this thing and tell them, telling them about what triggered the emotions in me. And then, um, God, I'm trying to think of what just came up with my oldest. You'll hear me talk about my oldest a lot because he is the, <laughs> the more challenging, I think, of the two boys that I have. Um, well, and he's a teenager now. And he's a teenager. So it just makes everything that much more. A new teenager. Oh God. Yeah. It is. It is intense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like he kind of threw it back at me um and i'm trying to think exactly what it was but i was like that is something i told you in a very vulnerable moment like i shared with you and you threw it back at me and um i mean that's a little off the topic of what you were just talking about but um it comes up a lot where i'm i'm worried about what i'm inadvertently pushing on them or imprinting on them i guess yeah I mean, it keeps me up at night. My kids are younger than yours. Although, let's see, my oldest and your youngest are, are close in age. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like I have no, I mean, I, I'm not filled with dread about the teenage years in terms of like 
something I've experienced and I'm, I think you'd probably relate to this is like every year that my kids get older, they're just so much more interesting to be with and so much more interesting to parent. Like I have a few people in my life right now who have new babies, some of them, their first baby. And of course, like I remember being with your first baby, like you just have no idea what it's going to be as they get older. And so you just think like, it's like the moment you think you got it, you have it, you understand it, they change. Mm-hmm. But I feel like until you're, until your kid turns like five or six, like you really don't fully understand like um, how much of, like how little of parenting is, is everything that you thought it was, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. It's completely different. Completely. <laughs> Yeah, like all the stuff that I that I lost so much sleep over when they were babies, I just think, oh my God, I can't believe I worried so much about how much sleep they were getting. Or like, I can't believe I worried about like, you know, them getting sugar too soon. I mean, it's just so hilarious. <laughs> no, but it was real. It was real in the moment, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think some, what I've thought about that is like babies are 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 so indiscernible when they're born like it's not that they're they're a pure blank slate in a way but they're not actually blank they just like you know they they slowly figure out a way to show us who they are as they get older but they've always been who they are and and i think like when you're in that stage where you just you just still don't really know who and what they are like you just kind of have to fill your energy and your time <laughs> and worry about shit that in the end 5 years later you're going to be like oh my god i wish i had that energy to like explain this really intricate thing that they're asking me about but I wasted all that brain energy on like pureeing organic peas or I I had a spreadsheet for poops and uh nap times oh that's so cute I mean I think by the time I had my kids there were apps so I didn't have a spreadsheet but I totally would have had one for sure Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, Yeah. I could have used that energy in a in a lot of other ways. <laughs> yeah, I know. But yeah, so I just think like, and maybe around five or six, it happens because that's when you start to see, like, I know for me, right around when my oldest turned five or six, that was when I started to like really see my mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like he was at an age where things he was struggling with or things that were coming up or, or stuff that was happening I was like, oh yeah, he does that because I did this. Or like, he has that pattern because he, because of something I did. It was like, it was like when I first really started to notice like, oh yeah, he, he has this thing because of something I've done. Mm-hmm. And I, and I don't want to say that like, you know, it, it, they are their own person and they do come out as they are as well. It's not, it's not that like we completely form who they are, but I mean, we have an enormous impact on who they are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the reason why I struggle with my oldest the most is because he is so much like me mm-hmm. that, and whether that's nature or nurture, I, it could be a l- little sprinkling of both, but, um, I get so, so mad at him sometimes just talking with him or him just being stubborn about certain things. And, um, my husband might gently point out that, you, you know, that's, that sounds like you. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. I know. <laughs> and when there, there's such a reflection of, um, our good traits and our not so great traits. And when you have them like flung in your face, it's real hard. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember one time I was complaining about how my daughter goes from like zero to 60, like she's totally fine. And then the next minute, like the, the world is falling apart and there's no warning. It's like, she's fine. She's fine. She's fine. Oh fuck. We're not fine. It just like, like you were walking and you didn't know there was a cliff on the next step. And I was kind of lamenting this. And her father was like, uh, that sounds real familiar, Vanya. <laughs> like, do you not know that you do that? And I was like, I do not do that. As I then completely embodied that exact thing and went from being having the same normal conversation to being at like 80. <laughs> They're little mirrors. They're little mirrors for us. They are. I mean, and I think like, I guess what I'm really curious about in myself and like in you and like the conversation I would love to be having with other mothers, but I, but I find is a really difficult one to have is like, like, I don't know. I I feel I spent years in therapy before I had children and, and have continued in therapy. Um, And so like, I, I had done a lot of work around my family of origin by the time I had children. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, everybody experiences like early motherhood differently. I, of course it was like sleepless and exhausting. It was like physically so hard, but like, I didn't really struggle very much with like, um, birthing or breastfeeding. Like a lot of that stuff, I've, it, it just kind of, I don't want to say it came naturally, but it like, you know, I could manage all of it. But as soon as they were like, walking that's when I noticed it really like as soon as they were walking so like they had like this incredible will and you know they're beginning to speak and kind of like really assert themselves in the world which is of course wonderful and amazing and enchanting Mm -hmm. but that's when I started noticing like my own my own wounds really surfacing and it was shocking because it was like stuff that I really thought I had kind of like dealt with in therapy like (laughs) like oh I, I have already dealt with my issues around my mother and then I have a child and I'm like oops nope no nope. I haven't no nope. I haven't the deep buried stuff yeah up. yeah and so motherhood for me has been like I get really I get really um agitated when I hear mothers talk about motherhood it's like the best thing that's ever happened to them or I love nothing more than being a mom <laughs> like I really, not that those things can't be true, but I don't mind those sentences if they come with like the other side of it. And, and I think for so long, I was like, am I the only one who is, oh, God, no. not, is not experiencing just that? Because actually like motherhood has been more painful for me than probably anything in my life. Like it has, it has been incredible highs, but like the lows are lower and deeper than any other low I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. And the pain is like more sharp and more profound. What is that? What can you, what do you say about that? Or what do you, what resonates with you about that? Well, a couple things come to mind. Um, I, I, think, I think this is along the same lines. Like okay. where people talk about motherhood in, in, in ways that are completely, you know, putting the perfect facade uh, out front and not talking about the real parts of it. Um, like for instance, when I had, my first baby um you know everyone talks about how this you have this instant love and you you know you just feel overwhelming it's the best day of your life and da, da, da. and I remember they handed me this this 
person. And I'm like, well, hi, nice to meet you. Like I did not feel overwhelming love, did not feel, I, I felt relief that, you know, he was fine and everything went okay, but I did not feel that overwhelming love. And I was like, I had to get to know this person a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, um, that from the very get go was like, Oh, I'm already doing this mom thing wrong. Why am I not feeling this? And I mean, of course, eventually within a few days, you know, it started building and, and stuff. But from the very get go, I think I had misconceptions of what motherhood was supposed to be, um, at that point. Um, and then I had a little bit, I guess it was a little bit different experience. Like you said that, uh, motherhood kind of brought up all these issues, not to say it didn't for me as well, but it also, um, it kind of saved me from mm -hmm. some issues as well. Um, because before that, I mean, talk about being wounded. I was a severe <laughs> codependent when it came to my family of origin. Um, you know, they, um, every single one of them have had drug addictions in one way, shape or form. And it was my mission to save them all and help them all. And um, as soon as I became pregnant, um, and even more so once I had the baby, it totally shifted. I'm like, I can't, I just cannot focus this energy. I love you guys, but you're on your own. And I, and ever since then, I was, I was, I've been able to disconnect a lot more than I used to. Not to say that I'm perfect about that, because I am so not. <laughs> but um, it was also, it was very liberating for me as well. Now, did I take that energy and hyper-focus it on, you know, my children in a healthier and unhealthy way? That's still, you know, yet to be decided. <laughs> yeah, that was my question. I was like, did my, you, my did you see that codependence, like, emerging in other places, rearing oh. its head somewhere else? Oh, all the time, all the time, which is funny because, um, I mean, you helped me or you helped my oldest with this is like, he had, um, you remember when he had such a, an issue with fear Yep. Mm -hmm. to the point where, um, you know, we, he was, I want to say, was he around nine? I want to say he was definitely yeah. still in the single digits. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he had so much fear, um, whether it be monsters in the closet or just that, oh my God, Mount Rainier is going to explode one of these days and dad works down there and like, um, works in the Valley, like all this fear. And, um, so we're talking about, you know, how we, how our own things get imprinted on our, on our kids. That's one of the, um, things I saw, especially with my oldest is that all these, these fears that I had, I, I feel like I, um, not that I, I made him fearful, but it just exasperated what was already there. Am I making sense? Yeah. Like, um, I remember at that time, like what he was struggling with was, you know, like he would have a fearful thought and then he just couldn't turn it off. Yeah. So like he basically didn't, and what we worked on together were like just strategies. Like it was like a toolbox for, for like, you know, stopping the, stopping the, 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 the spinning basically like, like right. putting the brakes on the spinning out. And, um, and yeah, like, I think 
these, the, the, the things that we need to teach our children, like the things that like, I certainly didn't learn from my parents about like soothing myself, comforting, like how to, how to, how to soothe myself, how to comfort myself, how to like tend to my uncomfortable feelings or sit or not even tend to, but just like be uncomfortable, how to sit with uncomfortable feelings without like going to a, a, a place of like utter defeat and destruction. Like those are things I didn't learn from my parents. And so like, yeah, I see now, I don't think of myself as a person who, who struggles with that, but then like, I see like, oh yeah, I didn't actually, you can't give your kids what you don't have. I think that's, that maybe is what's so painful for me is like, what I, what I think I've done well with is as I've become aware of what I haven't had and what I don't have to give, I've like figured out a way to make sure they get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in so doing, I've had to also give it to myself. But, but I think when I first had, when I had my first child and when it first started getting really hard emotionally, I think I had a, I don't think I'd fully come to terms with like all that I didn't have that I actually couldn't give Mm. or, or like I would only be able to give if I did some really like deep and honest work around it. Right. And like, I'll give you an example. Like, and I, and this is something I think about is not just, I, I think you don't have to be like a grown child of an alcoholic or like, come from an abusive home like I do um to like be deeply affected by just like the capitalist mindset where like everything is about um like worth and production but also like perfectionism perfectionism is like rewarded and celebrated mm-hmm. like perfectionism is like a deeply <laughs> like I mean it's so it's such a painful way to live your life yes um but we live in a society that we're, where it's rewarded. And I think women in particular, and then like mothers on top of that, like, I mean, I've done it. I think about how many times I've seen a mom who just looks like she's like, like the mom who brings the non-burnt slash delicious gluten-free cake, you know, and like her hair is done so, and she's fully dressed and like, she looks like she's brushed her teeth. Like, you know, when I see that, I don't always think, what I should think, which is like, oh man, look at her. Like she's having, what a day, like you're doing it. I think, oh my God, what's wrong with me that I can't do that. Right. Like what, and what, and that's such a, it's so diminishing of her and of myself, you know, to have that response. So, so I think that's like a disease of our society and like a disease of like modern motherhood. But I, but I also know I'm getting to the point now, which is that like perfectionism is something that I certainly inherited from my family. And like, I'm a person that on the, on the surface, I don't think anybody would ever think of as an obvious perfectionist. Maybe some ways, I don't know. I don't know, you tell me. Would you ever describe me as a perfectionist? In, maybe in some ways, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, but I'm like, also, go ahead, yeah, say. I was just saying, like, like, like you just wanna get things right. Like you wanna get things, um, how would I? I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put you up on like the list of uh, who I would, if someone said name some people that are perfectionists, I don't think I would have come up with your name, yeah. but I've 
You know what I mean? I think we all have a little bit. You can see it. You can see the thread. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, and I don't think I've been in denial about being a perfectionist, but like the thing I certainly wasn't aware of is how I was like, in ways I still don't even know, like inadvertently, like, um, demonstrating to certainly my older child that like, if it wasn't exactly the way you wanted it, like there, then it wasn't good enough. Um, and so like right around the time he was like five or six, this like streak of perfectionism just like came roaring out of nowhere. And I don't think it was just for me, but I remember like being like, what is that? And then as I was like, so I could identify it immediately as, as like something to address. Yeah. And I did like a, 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 like a true perfectionist. I wanted to find the most perfect way to address it. And you did the research and the Googles and all Yes, yes. But yeah. then as I started to like read about like ways to help a child struggling with perfectionism, I was like, I need all of these things. Like, no wonder I can't teach him how to deal with this because like nobody ever taught me how to deal with these feelings. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been living in a society and in a world and I, and I embody a gender that is, I've been rewarded for being this way my whole life. So true. Oh my so God. like, facing that now, I mean, it's been, I, I guess that is a good example for me. It's certainly not the most painful, but it's a good example for me of like my experience of motherhood, which is like, I'm humming along. And then it's just, I suddenly become aware of something that is hard and painful. And, and so, you know, I have a choice, like, am I going to trudge through this and face it? Or am I going to like, just pretend I don't realize, or I'm sure I've done that too. Or like, hope that it, I don't have like, you know, put it on layaway or <laughs> let it, let it correct itself. Like maybe it'll just go away. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I've been there completely. Trying to think of an example. Um, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm totally drawing blank. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right I mean I'm only asking your most personal questions about parenting no, I'm like I'm understanding and, and like yeah. I'm feeling all of these things but I'm like trying to think of specific examples is so hard it's just everyday life that these things happen do you feel like this is a conversation that you've had with a lot of mothers like about the way your own wounding shows up in your parenting or like what it feels like to be a wounded parent not really um or just even talking about my my family or being a wounded child in general, just with anybody, I, I, I don't think that comes up in conversation very much. Um, <laughs> um, you know, my close friends, of course, we've had these conversations, but a lot of my close friends are not moms. So they don't see how it um, transfers into motherhood. So I, I don't have an opportunity to talk about it as much. So I appreciate this actually quite a bit. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think about the people who know me really well and are really familiar with my family and my life and like who have seen this like huge arch of growth in my life and who now who now see me as a mother you know they they love me so much and they're so just like oh you know they're my friends who don't have mothers who who but who embody that in my life you know they're they're very um supportive and you know they're so often you know they say the right thing they're very comforting and they also give me like really great insight, but what's hard is that like, it's very difficult to describe the feeling that I'm having as 
and I try to do this thing, you know, like, which is not to say that you can't know what it feels like if you've never had a child, but you know how, like, it, it, you know, there's just so much of it that's wordless. Right. Right. And daily and like s- slow builds. Like that's a really good point. You're yeah. right. It's not something It's not one event. It's over time. You know, that's such an important thing you're saying because I think you're absolutely right. Cause sometimes by the time we have a conversation with our friends about something like, we're only just saying what's been, what is now finally clear to us. Mm-hmm. But the reality is like, it's been in our awareness to some extent for, it could be months or years, but we just haven't known what it is and we haven't known what to call it. We might not, not even ha- like have known to like investigate it at all, but like by the time we're able to talk about it, oftentimes like something's been there for a very long time. Yes. Yeah, that's true. And how do you encapsulate it? You know, how do you, how do you fully name it? And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think for me that like the namelessness of motherhood is, is, is really, really beautiful in many ways, but also like extremely isolating. What did you call it? The name? The namelessness, like the, the ways that so much of it is really difficult to describe. Mm-hmm. or like the profound stuff is really hard to describe I think like we have a language around motherhood like a shared language around motherhood that everybody knows like like oh diapers am I right and you know <laughs> like there are certain realities that we all acknowledge like the exhaustion the never-ending thing like and, and a lot of this is 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 completely intersectional with just like gender and and, yeah. and expectations around women and the roles that we fulfill and, and like general caretaking. But, but I think like we have a language for the way we talk about motherhood that, that, that acknowledges a percentage of it, mm-hmm. but there's like a whole other part that is hard to describe that lacks words that, that is, I think the most beautiful and the most painful part. And 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 for me, it's like it's been very isolating. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I I agree. Like even talking with my spouse, that like you said, there's 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 different gender norms and different roles that we play. And he's he's not gonna feel that he's not gonna experience the same thing that I'm experiencing as closely as another mother or another um as you uh how did you order a wounded a wounded mother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, even though he knows my stories, he knows my kids' stories, of course, it, it's, it's just not the same. Yeah. We're completely wired differently. And society has different expectations. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you feel like, would you, would you also describe it as, as like isolation, what you feel in motherhood or is a little bit different? Yeah. Isolation sounds so um, intense. Like it's such an intense feeling. I I don't know. Maybe I would describe it more as loneliness, and I'm not sure if I know exactly what the difference is. Isolation sounds more. Um, I don't know. Sad. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You're saying this to the woman who's sitting in her dark living room drinking wine. So yeah, I think we nailed it. Um, I think lonely is more of the daily and then isolation is those moments of like 
hitting a wall kind of feeling. Yeah. I think, I mean, something to acknowledge about a, a big difference between our experience parenting is that I actually have been in a foreign country for the majority of my parenting years. So, and like without any support from friends, without any family. So, I mean, I think that probably has certainly let like contributed to my sense of isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, but yeah, there is a difference between loneliness and isolation for me. Like yeah. I feel lonely in parenting when I'm trying to connect about it with like my co-parent or a friend and like they don't understand what I'm saying or like or I'm I'm trying to be really like open about what I'm experiencing or I'm seeking some kind of feedback or like some reflection. Right. And like it just doesn't land, then I feel super, super lonely. But I think beyond the fact that I am physically isolated and I have been a lot for parenting, I think I feel isolated more in the sense that like I'm very aware when I'm walking around the city with my children mm-hmm. that like I am, a, I am the feeling that I have and I could be totally wrong, but the feeling that I have and I'm, and it's in the way people relate to me and the way people talk to me or the way people see me or don't see me actually is I'm like very invisible when I'm with my children. I'm like, the mother of those children. Mm. And, and that's like the only identity I have. And, and it's the very first thing that I am. And it's like any interaction we, I have with a person and it could be just like a glance or passing on the street, or it could be like I'm ordering a coffee or it could be on bike, like whatever the interaction is. Mm-hmm. Like I am first and foremost, the mother of these children. And, it, and like the experience is completely filtered through, through that. And I feel so isolated being like, I think this is something that's been, that was really, really painful for me um, was, I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of actually don't remember. Oops. Sorry. I just like, <laughs> just looking at my, my dark wall. <laughs> I got you back. It's okay. Um, I, I don't remember at what point I realized, but it was probably when my son was like two or around that time. I was like, oh my God, my mother just didn't really like being a mother. Like Mm. it explained so much. I was like, she did not enjoy being a mother. She didn't find pleasure. It didn't, she didn't find any pleasure in it. Like, I think it was a grind for her. Not to say that she didn't find moments pleasurable, but like she didn't take any delight in being a mother. And that thought was followed up by like, ooh, I don't know how much delight I take in it. Like, I love my children, of course. But like, can I say that I love being a mother? You know? And I think that that's a question that I've never really been able to answer. Like, I love my children. I feel so grateful that I get to like take care of them and nurture them and help them grow into whoever they need to be. And and I hope that that our relationship will just grow stronger and better as the years go by. But like, Mm -hmm. I can't say that I love being a mother. And, and so it was like, I thought of that about my mother. And then I felt really like sad for myself. Uh, Wondered like, as did I, as a child pick up on that? Did I realize like that she didn't love being a mother? And like, is that, was that really wounding? Was that part of the problem? And then I thought, Oh my God, do my kids realize I don't love it all the time? Or like, that I don't like, I don't know. I mean, 
Well, and that, that goes back to the, this, these lies that we hear as moms that, you know, I just love being a mom and it's the greatest joy of my life. And I mean, you hear all this, all this shit all the time and you think that's the way you're supposed to feel all the time. But, you know, let's just be honest. Like, I remember when my kids were toddlers, like I'm supposed to love like sitting on the floor and playing with blocks and things. And <laughs> I, was, I was just bored. I was just like, geez, how long, how much longer do I have to do this? So they feel like I've played with them. Like, but really honest and and then I would and then of course the mom guilt like oh I had that thought I'm horrible like I'm horrible at this and I'm a horrible mom and so it's like this just the cycle so um I still feel that sometimes um like am I really enjoying this or you know I love taking my kids on outings I still do but like (sighs) the audible sigh but it's it's still a rigmarole to get like get them places you know my eight-year-old still has to pee out of nowhere all the time and just like um mom I'm hungry how long are we to do this are we there yet like there's just so there's like maybe 75 percent of it that is unpleasant and then there's like the little nuggets throughout throughout the excursion I'm just thinking of an example where I'm like okay this is this is the moment that I'm really enjoying <laughs> Yeah, and then it's followed by more, you know, them fighting or whatever it is. But I, I just, um, yeah, I think it's one of the lies that we have been told and that we believe with motherhood. Yeah, and like, yes, you're exactly right. And I think about like, so when I'm walking around the city, and I'm like, ugh. To these people, I'm like, I'm, I'm invisible when I'm walking with these children because all I am is their mother. And I feel like angry and resentful, not towards the children. I don't, but I, I just feel like, yeah, it's like there's this instant barrier put up between me and, and whoever I might interact with because there's already been, a, there's like, I'm, I've already been identified as embodying this thing that I don't want to embody. Like, I don't want to embody the society's ideal of mother. I don't want to be thought of first and foremost as a mother. That's not that's not how I want people to think of me. Not that I don't want people to think of me as a mother, but it's just not like, it's not everything about who I am. Yeah. And, and maybe like, because it's an identity I struggle with so much, maybe that's one of the reasons too. Like maybe if I was more at ease with it, it would feel, but I feel so, I mean, every day, I mean, Rochelle, every single day, like, and I keep waiting for this to stop, but every single day since my son has been born, I'm like, holy shit, like, who gave me these kids? <laughs> like, who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> it was a good idea. <laughs> like, no. yes, yes, I, it's how still- has somebody not put an end to this? <laughs> <laughs> I have the exact realizations, like, on, on the daily. And another thing that comes up, and this is that, that mom guilt, or whatever you want to call it, but people will compliment me. I've had like my therapist or my friends and they're like, you're a really great mom. And my instant reaction is, you know, nothing, you know, like you don't get in. I cannot take it in. Mm -hmm. I've caught myself and I've tried and I'm like, maybe I am a good mom. And then of course it's like, Oh no, here's all the reasons why you're not, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah. 
it's mindfuckery every single day. <laughs> it really is. I mean, it's funny to me because you're such a great mom. I think of you as a great mom. I've come to you for advice. Like, and I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Like you have a great kids and you know, not perfect, but like, I don't trust perfect kids. Anytime I meet kids who are like perfect or parents like, oh, my kids are perfect. I'm like, uh, they are yeah. lying to you about everything. Like, <laughs> You know, a person that says that I have met people that are like, oh, I'm just, I mean, I, something I tell sometimes when parents of teenagers are like bemoaning to me, the rigors of like other kids or this or that, I always say to them, I was a great teenager. And what I mean by that is like, I didn't give my mother, I never talked back to her. I listened to everything she told me to do. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't, I didn't lie to her. And I was like, because I was terrified of her. Like it was not good. Like you don't want a good teenager. A good teenager is a sign that like either they're lying and hiding themselves from you or they're terrified of you and terrified to disappoint you. That's the only way you get like a good teenager quote unquote you know like this is the age of rebellion this is what they're supposed to be doing this is they're supposed to be little shits yeah that actually makes me feel a lot better because mine is a little shit <laughs> you are i say it's a, it's a symptom of what a good mother you are he's well attached he knows you'll love him no matter what and like he, he an asshole sometimes. <laughs> yeah but he knows he knows that like you're never gonna abandon him i mean he knows he can be an asshole and you will a thousand times over Mm -hmm. receive mm -hmm. him and love him and you know I mean I, that's that's the sign of like a well-attached child and <laughs> I'll remind myself of that next time yeah just hear my hear my voice telling you well <laughs> done with your well-attached child Rochelle <laughs> <sighs> but yeah I I think like I I wonder, I wonder, like, I know a lot of moms who also say, like, there's so much guilt and shame around motherhood, and there's, like, these unrealistic expectations. I hear a lot of women, like, acknowledging that. But then I see, and I won't speak about other people, I'll say about myself, like, I'm someone who acknowledges all that. But then I'll, I'll, like, watch myself kind of, like, play into it, you know? Like, like, I'll watch myself be incapable of taking a compliment about being a mother or, or, like compare myself in these ridiculous ways that are useless and serve nobody or um or just feel immense shame for just being a human person who whose life has been taken over by by i mean basically they're like parasites <laughs> God, it's true. Um, yeah. I'm just thinking about the mom guilt and just, we're all, and the shame and we all feel it and none of us talk about it. I mean, not really. Yeah. I feel like we have our ways of, that we can talk about it acceptably. There's like acceptable ways to talk about it, but, but you have to, you can't cross a Like nobody wants to actually have a conversation about it. Like we're allowed to acknowledge it to a point, but we can't really get into it. I, I don't think, I mean, I'm curious for you. Like, I, I, I think, would you describe yourself as a very different mother from your own mother? I, I think so. Um, but I'm sure there's similarities there that 
are unconscious as well. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting is my, I got the, I think I got the best years of my mom being a mom because I was the firstborn and she was, I think she was really focused and she was, she wasn't, she did not become an addict until later in my life. Um, so I don't know where I'm going with this other than um, I had some really um, good beginnings, I guess you could say. It all went to hell when I was around 11, 12, 13, that age. And that's the part of my mom that I remember the most because I was older, you know? Yeah. Um, but I do remember her saying, um, and I, it was, I think it was just her excuse to kind of like bow out, was like, well, you're 13 now, you're grown. I'm like, you don't need me anymore. And like, like that's, that was her kind of reason for going out all night and like, you don't need me anymore kind of thing. Um, and you know, little did she know, little did I know that that's probably the time I needed her the most. So, I mean, it's things like that. Like, so now my son is that same age and I, <laughs> have I gone too far the other way where I'm all up in his business <laughs> maybe. And I'm just in my, in my head, I'm like, he needs me more than he realizes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that there, there are similarities, but um, I, I'd like to think it's, it's very different. And, and you know what, and I've, I've had conversations with them um, about my upbringing and about my parents. And um, it, goes a, it goes a couple different ways, whatever, depending on the time that we talk about it. But sometimes I get really frustrated with them because I'm like, you have no idea how good you have it. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. oh God, yes. And, um, and you guys are ungrateful and you're spoiled brats. And like, I, I had this frustration of like, I wish you could just see a glimpse of what other kids, not just me, but other kids have to deal with. And then there's other, there's other times where we talk and, you know, um, especially with my oldest, I, I can tell him more things at this age. My, other, my youngest is eight. Um, but you know, this is why grandpa doesn't come over that often, if ever, and, um, explain to him, you know, grandpa can't come here when he's, when he's high. And what does that mean? And what does that, so I, I have these conversations with them and they, I think that they get it. And I think that they, um, um, they ask questions. I think they ask really, really good questions about what it was like as a kid and that sort of thing. But no, I think that I think that their experience is very different than mine. Yeah. So. I th this is this has been my saving grace. This realization, actually, what you've just said is like there's these moments where I'm ang I'm like frustrated because they just like have no clue, <laughs> right? But then I'm so comfortable. I'm like, oh yeah, their experience of the world is so different, so vastly different from my own that like it would never. They, they don't, they're not assigning this meaning to it at all because like they live in a world where they feel basically really secure and taken care of and loved. And that was just not my experience at all. Like I never felt safe. I never felt loved. I never felt like my mother loved me. And so like I, there was recently, it was within the last few weeks, I had one of those days where they were, they were just being spoiled little shits and talking back and just, you know, just being a little little bitches 
<laughs> and I was like, I heard the words come out of my mouth. And as they were coming out of my mouth, I was like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Find a better ending. But I was, and I, and I, I, I think I like, not eloquently, but sort of figured out a way to end it better. But I was like, my mother would have beat the shit out of me if I'd said that to her. And they were both like, what? Just like their eyes were like, what? And I was like, and no child deserves that. <laughs> I was just like, save it, save it. And um, I am not indicating that that's what should happen to you ever, but uh, perhaps you could show some gratitude for the fact that you don't live in fear of that. And I'm just like, oh, why would I like, I mean, because my kids are, are younger. And so I, I do struggle with, it's really refreshing for me to actually hear what, what you share with your kids about your own childhood because, you know, like I, I do want them, one of my great fears about parenting is that my kids are not going to really know me. Like mm. that I'm going to be so focused on trying to get it right and like so focused on them that I never show them who I am, mm -hmm. you know, or like, 50 years from now no not 50 wait hold on my no well, yeah yeah like let's say 50 60 years from now when I die um like they're going through my stuff and they're like who is this woman you know or like they find my journals and they're just like who is this how come we never knew this person I, th I don't want that to happen that's because my there's a part of my mother that is like inscrutable to me and yeah. And I don't ever want my kids to feel that. Like, I really want them to know who I am. But it's hard to know how to share with them. When you've had a traumatic childhood, I think it's really hard to share with children. It's hard to share with small children. Small children, especially. Trauma in general, like how to talk about it without making them scared about their world and what that means for them. But, but, but I do find that it slips out in these moments of frustration where I'm like, my mother would have beat the shit out of me if I'd said that. And they're like, huh? Yeah. And then, of course, like, they have a lot of questions about that. Like, they need to unpack it. And... And it's so tedious, but, but, but there's the comfort in it of like, oh, right. Like, of course they need to unpack that because they don't, they don't live in a world where, where children get beat. Like, that is astounding them. I might as well have just told them that, like, the sky is red. Like, of course we have to talk about it. Yeah. And that comforts me a great deal. Like, yeah. Because when I was five, I thought every child got beat. I just thought that's what it meant to be. It was meant to be a kid. Like, I just mm -hmm. thought your parents beat the shit out of you. That's, that's, yeah. I, I thought so too. I remember finding out that other kids didn't get spanked or a belt or wooden spoon was a, a favorite. Um, and I was like, wait, what? Like, well, what happens when you get in trouble? Like it was a whole eye-opening thing for me as a kid. I don't remember how old I was, but um, yeah, I, I can't imagine. I, I know you're saying this is your greatest fear, so don't want to like dis diminish your greatest fear, but I can't imagine a world where your kids do not feel like they know you. I know you have to hold back a little bit while they're younger, but I mean, especially when they start becoming adults, like having these conversations um, just sounds, it just feels to me like it's just a part of who you are. I right? mean, I, I hope. I mean, I, I think in general, I'm a person who is pretty open about who I am and um, and I don't think I have a hard time necessarily kind of being myself, but, but, but with them, like, I'm a little bit afraid of myself. You know what I mean? Like there's a part of me, like I don't really trust myself entirely, meaning like, um, yeah, there's, 
I just feel like I was not parented properly. And so like, sometimes I have an instinct that just, I can tell, I know it's right. You know, like I don't even question it. Like it's so, so guttural that there's no questioning it, but that is rare. Like I really, I really agonize over parenting. I mean, I, it's, it's, it sent me back to therapy multiple times, (laughs) like the anxiety around it. No, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Do you ever see um, your parents in your kids? Oh, that's a great question, Rochelle. Um, I mean, <laughs> in like in a very silly way, when when my oldest was first born, like he just looked like an old man, and he looked like my dad now. Like really? Yes. Like I and I remember having this really moment, this moment of clarity of like, oh yeah, like you start your life and you end your life looking exactly the same, like an old turtle. Um, <laughs> but maybe that's just a looks thing, but like personality wise. Yes, absolutely. Like my daughter is incredibly charismatic and my mother is as well. Like she's got charisma. That's the only word to describe it. Like, yeah, you've met her. She's very charismatic. And I mean, she's, she's cool. And she's like, there's, 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 plenty of wonderful things about her that would draw you to her anyway, but she's also just got this quality about her that people are just drawn to her mm-hmm. and want to like bask in her light. And my mom is exactly the same way. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's something that I, that I, you know, I, my mother, I don't think used or like maybe the better, a better word is, I mean, she's still alive, uses or harnessed, or like, I don't know how responsibly she ever, I just realized I could have turned on a light like forever ago, Rochelle, ready? Hey! (laughs) Although now I feel like I'm backlit, but at least I'm not blue anymore. Um, I forgot that one was within arm's reach because I can't move from out from under all the tables. Um, She she never, it, it could have been a huge, strength and I think it became a shadow for my mother and so when I see it in my daughter like I'm a little scared because I don't feel like I have that I have that I don't think I have that kind of charisma and I want I want her to be able to really embody this gift and I also want to help her identify when it's slipped into shadow territory oh my god Um, that is exactly how I feel about my youngest yes exactly he is so much like my father like this, mm-hmm. the waterworks are starting. Um, like, and you know my, I mean, you know my son. Um, so passionate, mm-hmm. and um, like I've heard my grandma, which is my dad's mom, have even said to me, she he reminds me exactly of his father. Like at that age, like she's mm-hmm. like he can get away with anything because he's got these twinkly eyes, and <laughs> like. He's mischievous, but he's, but he's also charming and like just passionate, meaning one way or the other, like he's either like super fiery, angry, or just so loving and like wanting to help everyone. Like there's two polar opposites and my dad's like that. And he dwells in, you know, the anger side of him. And, um, anyway, I, I just had this fear of like, or, you know, this, 
who could my dad have been had someone nurtured this side and like you said, not let the shadow side take over. And uh, it also scares the shit out of me because I'm like, I see where my dad is now, um, you know, who has a heroin addiction and like, it just lives in his own mental darkness all the time. And I can see my son going down that path. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It just scares me. Like it's, that's my worst fear for him. Yep. Yes. I think it's interesting when you come from a family of addiction as we both do, although um, I think the experience of it has been very different for both of us, but um, like what's been drilled into my brain from my professional work is like, you know, genes plus trauma equal addiction, (laughs) you know, like just because you have the gene doesn't mean you're going to be an addict. And just because you've experienced trauma doesn't mean you're going to be an addict. But if you have the gene and you experience trauma, like, you know, and I know nothing is absolute, but I always think like that combination is so deadly. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have the same exact experience, but I think about one of the things that I see in my son that I see in my, and from my father is like, um, yeah, a tendency towards catastrophic thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, the way my father has dealt with that is just to like drink four scotches every night. Um, but you know, he's very high functioning. So, so, part of his addiction is also like we all either have to like pretend like nothing's happening and everything's fine. Or if we speak up, then we're, you know, an enemy. Um, mm-hmm. And I see that though in my son, like he's, he's just generally a very high functioning child. Like he's, he excels at various things. Like some things come really easy to him, but when something is hard for him, like he doesn't take it well, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Like he doesn't have a lot of equanimity, mm-hmm. and and yeah, but said that what you I was really with you just now when you were talking about that question of like who could my father have been had he been gotten something different from what he got, you know? Yeah. And I and I often wonder that about both of my parents, and and then the, the like the next question that comes like a screaming train to me is like am I, you know, giving my children what they need to like become who they're meant to be and, and to have the tools to like manage these things that they're definitely going to have. Like Mm -hmm. I very much believe in like ancestral trauma. And, you know, I think, I think we inherit the trauma until it's, until it's healed. You know, I think it just keeps getting passed on. I just learned about this maybe a year ago and yeah. when, I, when I heard it, I was like, Oh my God, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Like things like kind of fell, all these ideas and thoughts kind of fell into place when I heard about that. I'm like, of course, of course, this is a thing. This, this is real. So did you read a book about like epigenetics or something about epigenetics or was it more just like the idea of ancestral trauma? Um, I, I heard about the idea and I want to say it was a podcast and I cannot for the life of me remember what podcast it was. Um, I I haven't dove too far down that rabbit hole, but just the concept is, is now. 
Yeah, it's really interesting that even the scientific research behind like the re very real effect on our gene expression, you know, like trauma affects our gene expression. And, and you know, like one of the easiest populations to study has been like, hol you know, Holocaust survivors and their offspring. Um, but there have been other examples and like, I, I took this workshop once and this thing, it has stuck with me, although I, I can't say I remember the details exactly, but I can definitely remember the gist. The study that was done, I think it was with cats, maybe it was rats, I don't know, it was some creature, I think it was yeah. cats, were like, you know, like a, a newborn of every species is meant to be, you know, like, you know, near, next to their, next to their mother, you know, skin on skin. And the way that cats do like the, that bonding is licking. And yeah. so if you prevent a cat from licking her kittens, yeah. then or was it rats now? I don't know why. I can, it's funny. I, this is the most terrible. I should just stop fucking talking because I'm getting it all wrong. I'm tracking. So keep going. <laughs> yeah. I, my point is going to be accurate, but like the way we're getting there is very fucked up. But like, basically if you prevent the animal from doing what it does to, 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 to basically create attachment. So it's, it's, it's about how, how, anim, how, whatever this animal does to create attachment. In this case, if this animal was licking, if you prevent the mother from licking the babies, those babies, there will be four generations of babies that will not be parented properly. So those babies will not be able to take care of their babies and their babies, even, even, if, every, even if every subsequent generation is allowed to lick, they won't do it because like they've been broken in some way and it takes four generations for it to come back for, for the, by the fourth generation that mom will be like oh I'm supposed to lick these babies and that's like one example of all the different ways we can fuck up our kids yes <laughs> yes <laughs> or that has been passed down to us through generations yes yes okay so the podcast whatever this mystery podcast was that I heard it was rats and it had to do with a bell, I want to say. Like, they, they had the rats somehow um, scared of a bell or some sort of stimulus. And then a few generations later, those babies were still afraid of the bell, even though they had never been. They never experienced the bell. Right. Yeah. So, no, it's, that's pretty. <sighs> I think. I just wave of anxiety. Oh, I know. I know this this overwhelms me sometimes and I don't think it's a good place to live. No, it does it's not. It's did not. You read, did you read that article in the New York Times? I want to say I have lost all sense of time. I, I think it was like maybe a month or two ago. It was like called like the tyranny of modern parenting or something like that. No, I did not read it. Definitely that. read it. It's so good. But but one of the things that I really took from it was like they interviewed this woman who was like in her seventies and she was like, when I grew up, like your job was to love your kids and discipline them. That's all you did. You just loved them and disciplined them. I didn't know I was supposed to do all this other stuff. And, and she wasn't like making an excuse, but she was just kind of like talking about this experience of now being a grandmother and seeing like her grandkids just get received so much more attention and, and anxiety. And, you know, they get all of it. It's like, it's not just attention your kids get. They also get all your anxiety about whether or not you're doing it right or wrong. Right. But after I read the article, I was like, you know, I need to make a really conscientious decision to like not participate because so much of modern parenting is about capitalism, like period, end of story. It's not about anything real, right? It's about like, what can we do to create a need in you that you didn't actually have so that you'll buy something or consume something to make yourself better or to stop, you know, whatever. 
So, and I'm so aware of that, but you know, you're not always aware of it when you're playing into it. But I was like, you know what? My job is actually to love them first and foremost. And that encompasses a lot of things. Like when I say loving your children means more than just like feeling love towards them. Like love is an action. It's never just a feeling. Right. And disciplining them. Like, and, and you know, that's not the word I would use, but, but yeah, like giving them a framework within which to figure out how they want to move through the world. And, and like, I mean, I personally am a proponent of like having pretty hard, fast rules in your house and, and also being clear with your kids. Like, I, I mean, I, I know some parents who are like, I don't know, I think they should really decide for themselves if that's something they want. And I'm just like, no, they are fucking children. Like they don't have what you have, which is the benefit of experience. And like, as long as you're not telling your children that the way you see the world is the only way to see the world. Like, so I think like I tell them, these are my rules and, and, when appropriate, I give them the reasons. And I also always tell them, like, other people do things differently, but this is how it is here. And yeah. I think that's enough. Like, and, and I, I'm saying that as though this is something I can stay in touch with every day, because as, as anybody who's been listening for the last hour hears, like, it's definitely not it's something I lose contact with on the regular. But, like, if I can just remember my job is to love them, love is an action, not a feeling. And, like, so, so behave in ways that, that are loving and um, and move the way love makes you move, um, and and like give them structure and guidance and a sense of morality that is in line with my own sense of morality. Like that really is all they need from me, and like everything else is just either some manifestation of my own anxiety or my own wounding or capitalism. <laughs> it's so true. You know, it's that reminded me of a one time. I think Charlie was way too young for this story. I was trying to um, explain the um, oh god, what is it? The goat. Uh, I started this story and I don't have all the facts. Um, what's this? The the Asian story about the ghost with the pinhole mouth. I have literally no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> really? Okay. Some, it, it's called the hungry ghost. And um, it, it's a ghost with insatiable hunger, but it's got a pinhole mouth. Oh, poor ghost. And um, so it's never, it's never fully satisfied, which is, it's a metaphor, like, for our capitalism, basically. Like, we can only bring in so much, but we have this insatiable hunger to consume things. Mm. And I'm not doing a very good job explaining it to you. And I did not do a very good job explaining it to my then, I don't know, seven-year-old son, because he just basically thought the house was haunted. After oh, I- <laughs> so maybe I should go do a little research before I tell this story anymore <laughs> i just told a story that may have been about cats or rats and licking or not licking i mean you're in good company here that's yeah. brilliant that's a really great metaphor yeah he maybe i could tell him now and he'd uh, understand that a little bit more but. yeah i mean it's funny this what that brings up for me when you say it is one of the things i have discovered that i have a very hard time practice like teaching my children or knowing how to teach them is gratitude and we do a gratitude practice every day like we talk about gratitude a lot we talk about being kind the, the two rules of our house the rules that underpin every other rule is always be kind and always be generous mm-hmm. but like gratitude is 
getting referring back to our previous conversation about like, do you guys know how lucky you have it? Like, <laughs> like that's not a way to instill gratitude. And like, I, I realized that as a child, I, what I would not, like, I felt grateful if mom didn't like beat the shit out of me that day. But what I didn't feel was gratitude. I felt like relief, you know, like as an adult, I now describe that as gratitude, but that wasn't what I was feeling. It was, it was just like relief. And, and so I think like, you know, was I ever, was gratitude ever demonstrated for me? And maybe it was in small ways, but I think my parents are both like deeply unsatisfied and pretty unhappy people. And, you know, I don't think that they have any real connection to gratitude or joy. I think, you know, they, they have, they have their, their various addictions slash obsessions that they kind of medicate themselves with to get through life. But but no real sense of appreciation. And, um, and so even though like, this, so this feels there's like, there's like this vast, I'm noticing by the way, how often I'm saying like, because I just listened to a podcast with Neil Patrick Harris and he was being interviewed by Justin Long and he was saying how he hates when people say like, and he said it after the first, he said it only once in the entire interview. And he was like, Oh, I hate when people say that. I hate when I do that. Sorry, I'm trying not to do that. I was, and I was like, you only said it once. I, I must say that 7,000 times a minute. And I, I dread listening back to this episode and hearing myself. Like, 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 like. Okay. Well, but we're not perfectionists. It's it true. Like, so. We're like not perfectionists. We cannot live up to NPH's standards. It's true. That man is superhuman. He really is. This is a total side point, but like, as I was listening <laughs> to him talk today, I thought, I can't believe this is Doogie Howser. I just can't believe it. <laughs> Who would have ever thought that his career <laughs> would take the turn that it has taken? I know. I know. <laughs> it's so true. Oh, your doggy is poking his head in the screen. I know. Hi, Ferris. Ferris. Yeah. Now I've totally lost my... I know, we lost it. Um, lost the plot. I've lost the thread. Oh, I don't remember at all. Gratitude. Gratitude. Oh, that's what I was saying. There's a great, there's a grand chasm between what I can communicate to my children sometimes about like, so for example, now as an adult who's like built the life that I have, I do experience daily like such gratitude because I know my life could have gone so differently which is not to say that I haven't struggled which is not to say that things haven't been hard at times but overall like given given the realities of my childhood this could have gone real dark (laughs) real fast (laughs) and I've had periods periods of darkness but overall like the overarching theme of my life is definitely one of of um of goodness and wholeness and there's been a lot of grace and a lot of beauty and um and so i am so full of gratitude every day but of course i have something to compare it to i think what i lose sight of is the life that i've built is the life that my children know and so like i'm asking them to be grateful for something that they just take for granted as reality Mm-hmm. you know they don't know any alternative and it will be a while before they will you know I mean it'll, it'll be a while before let's see 
my son's going to be eight in like a few. I, yeah, I always forget. Your youngest and my son are actually really close in age. Yeah. We're six months apart, right? Yeah. Yeah. He will turn nine in July. Oh, right. That's right. They're about a year apart. That's right. Because he turns eight in June. So, so, um, there, there's like, he's just at the age now where he's going to really start. I mean, he, he has his own social circle now, but you know, he's at the age where he's going to do sleepovers and like, he's going to start really like making sense of the rest of the world. His whole life is not going to be in, in, contained in this apartment. Right. And so, you know, that's going to give him some perspective and maybe that's, something I don't need to worry about. Like, I think that's what my panic is. It's like, they don't have perspective, but I've worked so hard to build this life exactly for that reason, because this is the life I want them to have. Right. Isn't that the irony of the whole thing? Oh, I never know what the definition of irony actually is. I hate, I, I always struggle with that word because I don't think I actually understand it, but yes. I have my own definition of irony and I just use it that way. <laughs> I know that Alanis Morissette was wrong about it. Everybody was like, oh my God, this is not irony. Um, yeah, I, um, I took my kids, um, to Mexico last year. And, um, of course we stayed at some swanky resort, which is not the real Mexico, but we did, we drove through parts of Ixtapa and we went, um, to the, like, not the touristy market, but we went to like the real market. And, um, I think that was really eye-opening for them just to see, um, how people live throughout the world. And, um, I want to do more of that. Like I'm like, our next vacation, Craig, is we, we have to, um, do something that shows them how, how privileged and how, you know, how nice their life is. I know. I mean, it's, it's a political thing when you're an American too, though, isn't it? Like, yeah. I feel like it's the sacred duty of all American parents. If you're raising a child in America, like you have a responsibility to the world to make sure that they know something else. Cause yeah, America is, is, is like a really weird reality TV show. <laughs> right. This is not how the majority of the world. Yeah. Is. It's so divorced from the reality of the rest of the world, you know? And yeah. <laughs> Bravo. Well done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if this, how this fits with being a wounded parent, but can we talk about something that has, I don't know, I have not talked to any other mom about you in? Girl, yeah. Okay. Um, so the whole screen time conversation, I feel like it's more emotionally loaded than like the breastfeeding conversation or like it's it's a hard way to hard discussion to navigate with I find anyone Mm -hmm. I don't know how you feel about that but um I don't know I Craig and I I mean you know you know us um like we we love our tv (laughs) You love technology. You're technology lovers. I love the technology. We love our TV. And um, I do let my kids um, have more screen time than I care to admit because I have such shame around it. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I just think it's a hot button issue all the time. 
I don't know if that happens over in Germany or not, but I think everyone's got an opinion on it. And um, I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I feel too much shame to talk about it. But here, of course, I'm talking about it in a public. Good for you. This is a safe yeah. place to talk about it. What is, what's the feeling that comes up for you about it? Like, um, or, or what I'm, I'm curious is like, do you just hear people kind of casually throwing out like mentioning things about screen time, but not really engaging in a conversation about it? I don't know about. Like, oh, my kids don't have any screen time. Anyway, da 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 they, they don't, they're not allowed to look, uh, have screen time during the week. And I'm just like, oh, that is not how we do that. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and maybe we can bring it back to, you know, how I was parented. Um, but like the, the moments, of my childhood that I remember as being the most pleasant was when we would sit down and watch like a sitcom together or Aww. like, you know, like these are, these are the more happy moments. And so that is something I do with my kids is like, you know, my oldest and I have watched all of Parks and Recreation because it is like our, our favorite show. Like this is a, a bonding thing that I, that I do with my kids. And, um, I don't know. I, I, I have like, all these undiscovered feelings because it's hard to talk about. I think you just said, like, name something super, super important. And correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, there's a big difference between sharing an experience and, like, sharing something that you love with your child, a movie or whatever it is, right? Like, this is something I love and I want to share it with you. And then, like, you have your inside jokes about it and you can talk about it. Certainly, I mean, I'm thinking about a show like Parks and Recreation, which is pure brilliance and is one of the best feminist icons to ever be portrayed on screen. And also Ron Swanson, one of the best male humans to ever be portrayed on screen. Agreed. Um, like, there's a big difference between, like, sharing the experience with your child and then, like, plopping them in front of the TV so you can go do something else. You know what I mean? Like, I think, and I'm actually, and I, I'm saying that sounded really judgmental and when it came out. But what I meant was that I think there's, we don't always differentiate between what we mean by that. You know, like, I think like putting your kids in front of the TV so you can, so you don't have to deal with them is I think probably what most people are referring to when they talk about screen time or that's the idea. I think or better. I'm not innocent of, of no. Oh, no. Who is, who is <laughs> like, it's the best way to get 30 minutes to, yeah take a shit or do the dishes or read or get some work done or, you know, whatever. Anything, yeah. But, but I think like there, there's this, there's so much judgment and shame around the whole conversation because the assumption is that if your kids are, are getting screen time, it's because you're like opting out of being a present parent. Right. Right. And that's the definition. Yeah. Right. That, like, I think that's the, that's the automatic assumption with it. And then the other thing about it is like, we never, I don't think people think about, this is also a very elitist conversation. I'm, I'm not seeing you. And I'm saying like, I find that when people are talking about screen time, like these are not people who, who worry too much about where their next meal is coming from. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I do. I, do. I think single moms who are working three jobs to like keep a roof over their kid's head, like would probably think, what do you mean? Like, do I let my kids watch TV? What are you talking about? Like, right. 
what is that even? I mean, so it's, it's a, I, I guess my point is like, this is very much a class question. And like all things related to class, it is so seeped in shame because really it's an indicator. Like I think it's an indicator of class, like whether you are the type of mother who like the less screen time your kids have, like it's the more, how am I trying to say this? The more privilege and power you have to give them screen time. So if you're someone who can afford for them to have devices, if you have a life where there's time in their day, you know, like they're not working on a farm or like <laughs> have a part-time job to help make ends meet, right? Like these are all like social indicators of like, ex of, of um, I just learned recently, have you, have you ever listened to the, the Guilty Feminist podcast? No. I just learned about it recently and I've like gone back and listened to all the back episodes. It's brilliant. It's brilliant, brilliant. I'm making this podcast, I learned that high heels were originally made for men. So men used to be, used to wear high heels and the reason the heels kept getting higher and higher. Yes, because it was, a, it was an indication of wealth. It was like a way of saying, I'm so wealthy that I need someone to do everything else for me because I can't possibly do anything in these ridiculous shoes. So like they would, they would like teeter. They were so unstable in these shoes that they had to have a servant to do everything for them. So this was like a way of indicating, this was like a social, a, a physical indicator of their wealth. The higher the heel, the wealthier they were because the more people they could afford to do all the things that they couldn't do for themselves because they were wearing these ridiculous shoes. And like the theory was that at, at one point there was, they were like, Ooh, we could really make it hard for women to do things if we put them in these shoes <laughs> and then they'd be dependent on us. Right. Like, but this is my mind. keep going. Yeah. It was fascinating. Yeah. But I think about how like, there's so much about certainly in the States, let's, we'll just keep it to the States. Um, you know, in America, we have this lie that we don't have a class system. We all believe like class doesn't exist. We don't have, we all think we're middle class, but we, but, but we have these indicators, these things we talk about, these physical things we have or don't have, or, or that kind of like are, are like the dog whistle to the people who are tuned in oh, right, that, like, right. that like indicate something about us that that is that is a is a class indicator and i find the ways that people talk about screen time always reveal like their their class assumptions or their class where they where they are or like or their class aspirations you know like and so i and i i think that's <laughs> but I, I think that's why it's such a loaded subject because we're actually talking about something else entirely but i mean you've kind of blown my mind here I mean, I, so my kids don't have screen time and, and they never, I mean, I should say as, as a general rule, they do not have screens and they never, and they, like, I was, I was adamant because I read in some book that like they shouldn't see screens before they're two. And I was like an insane woman about them not having screens. I totally got over that. The only time they ever watch TV is if they're sick, mm -hmm. the only way to get them to lay still. Or like if I have to get on a phone call and I know, and like it's the only way to make them quiet, right? Like, so it's like emergency use only basically. How, <laughs> however, but well, so that, that was the case. But then, you know, my son got to an age where, and the reason, and my reason was as soon as they were done being two, like as soon as both of them got over being two, I did start to introduce television because I, you know, I didn't see a harm and there's so much cool stuff on. And I, again, I wanted to share things with them. But like my son would get like obsessed. Like he couldn't, he would just, he, he was like, um, 
if he watched a show, he it was almost like he got stuck in a loop and he just like couldn't get out of it. And I noticed that if he didn't watch it, he just could focus on other things. So with him, it was just a matter of practicality. But then as he got a little bit older, he, he certainly had a greater capacity and like all of his friends were obsessed with Star Wars. He really wanted to watch Star Wars. It took us like three years for him to get through the entire episode <laughs> of Star Wars. But like, and, and like he actually is now at an age where he can totally handle it. If he watches some TV during the day or not, but like he's fine. He, it doesn't have an effect on him. Whereas my daughter, like she is like a heroin addict with TV. Like it's super alarming the way that it affects her brain. Yeah. And so, and so we just have cut it out again. So unless it's like an absolute emergency, she just doesn't have screen time and like, they're not allowed to touch my phone. And, and so, and like, I think if I were if I were interested in shaming other moms about that, I could probably like cite all sorts of like uh, reasons, like oh, it's not good for their brain and blah blah blah. And the reality is, like, actually, if it made my life easier for them to watch screens, I would totally do it. But it makes my life so much harder, hmm. and so I'm not interested in making my life any harder with B. Uh, but with with my son, like he is, I do enjoy. I love watching movies with him. Like over Christmas. Last Christmas, he finally got to see Home Alone, and then, and then like this Christmas, what did we watch together this Christmas? Oh, The Mighty Ducks. Oh, I haven't watched that with my kids. It doesn't really <laughs> hold up that well, but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but it was but it was still super fun to watch. Oh God, we were also innocent back then, Michelle. We we so were. Yeah, and so and so I am now finally at a stage where I'm kind of like using it as a, as a way to share things with with him but my my daughter like she she really is deep I she turns into a I, I don't know what happened something happens in her brain okay so you brought up um something really you know I told you that I'm fearful of my youngest son and you know um being like my father uh so can I tell you this story um do they, they have Fortnite over in Germany is that a thing or have you heard of Fortnite I have no idea what Fortnite is okay it's a video game Oh, I've heard of people playing it. I don't know what it is, though. Silly costumes, and it's kind of like the Hunger Games. Like, you have to, like, be the last one to survive kind of thing. Anyway, all the the children, like, in his, in my youngest's class, um, like, this is what they obsess over all the time. Um, About two months ago, my husband was like, we're never getting this. A little farther back. We're never getting this game. It's addictive. We're not. We're not doing it. Um, but my oldest downloaded the game and started playing it just to see what it was about. And so my youngest started playing as well. Well, um, it just completely made him lose sight of reality, where he starts all of a sudden buying thirty dollars worth of. I don't know the the V bucks. I think is what they're called. Craig, we're upstairs, you get uh, an alert, and uh, he has to go downstairs and talk about, you know, this is real money that you're spending, and we're going to uninstall this game, and this is no more. So fast forward a month later, um, (laughs) I'll just tell you the short version. We wake up to, Craig, my husband, has an alert on his, oh, no, no, sorry. The youngest comes in and says, hey, dad, you left your cell phone on the dining room table. And Craig was like, oh, I don't remember doing that. Okay, thanks. And he looks at his phone, it's still, it's 100% charged. He's like, that's weird. 
and um, goes into his email and finds the receipts for $200 spent on this game between 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. <gasps> so, like, he had this all planned out. He woke up at 2 in the morning, redownloaded this game, bought $200 worth of, I don't even know what, things, took the phone, so because he, he knew that dad would get alerts, but he wasn't quite sure, like, how that worked, but yeah. that's why he took the phone. And, um, and then, like, pretended to wake up in the morning like nothing had happened. Like, the most fearful part of that was, this is such, a, like, an addiction. Behavior. <laughs> the deceit. Yeah. The deceit and the stealing and, like, all this stuff. And, like, I, it, I spiraled into some sort of, like, I, I've done all the parenting wrong, basically. Oh, right. Um, oh, no. Oh, Rochelle. <laughs> I'm feeling, I'm feeling in my body, like, I just want to hug you. <laughs> just, like, want to hug you because I, I would spiral, too. And, like, and oh. you are such a good mom and it's not what is happening. And, like, I, I would be so, I would be so, I would have been so upset had that happened to me. You're so upset. And it did, it did, like, at some point, we, we all sat down very calmly and uh, had a conversation, a long conversation with him. Um, and, you know, come to find out he was being teased at school for not playing this game, for not having the correct, what they call skins, which is the, the like, silly uniforms these characters wear, right? Yep. Like, he was just being really teased about it. And... Oh, it, I mean, he was in tears. I was in tears. Like we were all in tears talking through this, but it resulted in the longest restriction I think we've ever doled out, which was a month of absolutely no screens, um, which my kids, I don't think have ever had that before. And watching him for the first three to four days go without any, any screens. Um, was like watching an addict go through withdrawals. Like it was intense. Like the, the tantrums and like not knowing what to do with himself, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, it, and this was just um, in April, so the month of April, he was on restriction. So um, anyway, it was it was really eye opening. And about two weeks in, um, he actually said that he. He liked being on restriction because he learned how to do more things and, you know, play with more friends and that sort of thing, which was really great because we didn't restrict him from playing. Obviously. Right, right. Just no screens. Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, it was just a really eye-opening experience uh, to see, especially like, like what you said, your youngest reacts different than your oldest. Like, yeah, my oldest, I, never in a million years would he have done that you know what I mean oh yeah it was just so different um but it was an emotional roller coaster for the month of April oh god I I'm just like yeah I'm feeling it in my stomach in my chest this I'm I'm imagining that happening here but I'm also just like oh this it makes perfect sense to me you share that story and it makes perfect sense to me that this whole topic like just brings up a lot of shame for you because I mean, I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't feel comfortable telling a lot of people that that had happened. Not, and, and 
Yeah, because I'd be so afraid that they'd be like, what kind of mother, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, just that I had let him become so, that, that's the, the mom guilt or the just right. like putting the responsibility on me. Like I allowed him to get that addicted, you know, to, to screens and to, you know, these sorts of things. But I think this brings up something really interesting. We were talking way early in the conversation about like how your codependency just kind of shifted. Oh, totally and, good. But I, as, as a, as a, as a blue ribbon codependent, <laughs> something <laughs> I really struggle with with the kids is like, you know, if he were an adult, you could, it'd be a little bit easier, even if it was hard for you to not take not feel responsible to be like, you know what? He's an adult. Like he can make his own choices. I can't make him do or not do anything. But what right. if your child, like it's really, I think it's very, very difficult to not be codependent with your young children. Oh, yes. If you have the tendency towards codependence, because I mean, I think, you know, you're, first of all, your youngest is the cutest, most clever, sneakiest, littlest, adorablest, creature and and I say sneaky with absolute um sneaky with sparkly eyes that's oh yeah I mean he is he's a little imp he's so cute and he's so clever and he's so like when I hear that story I think wow he really is capable of like strategy right (laughs) he's a good strategizer I know you know and and I mean, I think, yes, you and I know better than a lot of people that, that addicts become very good at, at strategizing, but not everybody who's a good strategizer is an addict either. And I think like he's still at an age where, you know, you can see this gift that he has for strategy and you can like hone it and support it and, you know, build it up and, and find really healthy ways for that to, to for him to live that out in the world which may just be the difference you know what I mean I think think yeah I think it is (laughs) when he was a toddler I took him to see the doctor I might have told you the story and he I wouldn't let him play with this doctor's sink so he had a complete and utter just meltdown in front of the doctor who's been our pediatrician the entire time and the pediatrician sits back and he looks (laughs) at my son and goes, wow, he's, uh, he's very spirited. He's very passionate. I'm like, uh, yeah, that's one way. <laughs> that's the nice way to say. And, yeah. And he watched him for a good couple minutes. And then he's like, okay, here's the good news is that, um, I've seen kids like this cause he's been in practice for like 30 some years. He's like, I've seen kids like this and they grow into amazing adults. Like they're leaders and people look up to them and they inspire people. And like, he's just going to be this amazing adult. He's like, you just have to let him live that long. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And like, whenever I have these little moments with him, I just like, okay, I just need to like, just guide him, you know, to be to focus on, um, for lack of a better term, like being the hero instead of the diabolical villain that he could easily be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I take comfort in knowing that 
we're, we've all been the villain. We've all been the hero. Like he'll play both roles, but yeah, you just hope that more often than not, he's, he's using those powers for good. <laughs> and I think, I mean, hearing you talk about it, this is something that I can't give myself, but like hearing you, I totally can see it and, and, and acknowledge it. Like the fact that he has a mother who even thinks that way, who like really sees him. I mean, I think, like, I think you really see your kids. That's the impression I, I get for sure. Like when you talk about your kids to me and then I experience them, I, ex I see a lot of like just confirmation of truth, you know, yeah. I don't, it doesn't, I don't then spend time with your kids and be like, Oh, she's deluding herself. You know, like, I think you really see them for who they are. And thank you for that. And just, you know, I mean, that's all kids really want. It's all I ever wanted. You know, I just wanted my parents to see me. That that wasn't something they were capable of. But what a gift it is to like to to let them feel seen and understood, even if what we see are <laughs> the alarming tendencies. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean, I think about all the alarming tendencies I had as a child that my mother wasn't even paying attention to that now are like have enriched multiple therapists throughout the last two decades. Again, <laughs> <laughs> oh, everyone should go to therapy. I agree. Okay, we're closing in on two hours. So I know, I mean, an hour and 42 minutes. Um, okay. It does not feel that long, but I am going to, I know, but I think the way I want to end it, end it, um, is I want to ask you what in the but this is not the usual way this question is asked like not like when you see a pregnant lady what would you want her to know about motherhood but like yeah what is the what is it doesn't have to be to people who aren't mothers yet or people who are never gonna be like or aren't mothers or it's just like what is the one thing about parenting that you wish either that you had known going in mm. or that if someone asks, because of course we don't give advice unless people ask for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if someone asked you for advice or insight, like what would you say? Huh. You can also tell me anything else you want and just ignore my prompts completely. No, no, it's a good prompt. Um, I, I mean, it really comes down to the story that I told earlier about when um, I thought I was supposed to feel this instant love for my infant right after birth. Like, I feel like that's a metaphor for the entire motherhood experience. <laughs> like, it is not what people tell you it's going to be. And it's, and it's individual. And, um, and that's okay. And don't try to live up to anyone else's standards or anybody else's advice, I guess. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I often think of that, that, um, that moment where I just thought I was doing it all wrong from the get-go because I had listened to something that um, I thought was supposed to be happening. And that has played over and over and over <laughs> again throughout the years. So I think that would be what I would pass on. That's good stuff. Yeah. Can I ask you the same question? Yes. Um, hmm. 
I think what I wish someone had told me, no, no, no. I wish people had told me, like, um, I wish people had just not bullshit me in general. <laughs> if people had told me the reality of all of it. Um, yeah, but what I would say, and, and this is something I say to myself too, is like, I think we fetishize pregnancy, like we fetishize motherhood. We, we tend to talk about raising children as though it's like an 18 year long proposition or twine, I guess with the millennial generation, it's a 30 year proposition. They don't leave that out to their 30 or whatever. But like, I think in, on my best days and when mm -hmm. I have the most perspective, I feel really aware that like I'm building, I'm, all I'm doing is building a relationship like, and it's an important relationship. It's a foundational relationship. And they're, and like my role right now is to make sure that they know that they are loved that they are safe and that like the world is a safe place and that they deserve love and they deserve, they deserve to be held in wholeness. They deserve to be seen in their wholeness always. Like that's, that's at the core, the most important job. But but, but actually like I'm building a relationship for a lifetime. Like I, I'm not just trying to get them to 18. I'm not just trying to get them to these, to these, um, milestones. Like it's not just about like getting them to college. It's about like investing in, in this relationship that I'm going to have for the, for the rest of my life. You know, like I, I'm not just trying to get them to the, this point of achieving things. These are people that I want to spend that I'm going to spend my life with, I hope. Like I, I, I want to be, I want to have the type of relationship where, where I'm not just this person that kind of got them to where they are, but like that we like each other and that we admire each other and that we really, really know each other. And so, and so this was a very long way of saying that in the day-to-day -day moments that are really, really hard, like, and the easiest way out <laughs> is almost always like to disengage or to, or to, yeah, to disengage. Yeah. Like just, just remember that you're like, you're building a relationship and every time you disengage, you're eroding it. So mm -hmm. even when it's hard, even when you don't do it perfectly, even when you don't know if you're doing it right, like just stay engaged and, and remember the other, this is the other thing I would definitely say is like, remember always, you can always apologize. Like you can always own up for your shit and oh. apologize. Yes. I would completely agree with that. Children are endlessly forgiving and all they want are parents who, who love them and they don't expect you to be perfect. Like that's, that's not their expectation at all. Right. And that shows that you're not a perfectionist, as we talked about. Yeah. <laughs> or you're a recovering perfectionist. Yeah. <laughs> or you're a perfectionist who's capable of apologizing. <laughs> right. Admitting when you make a mistake. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Rochelle, I'm so grateful. I mean, I, I asked you to be on my podcast, but I'm just like super delighted to spend two hours with you. I know. We should do this like normally. I know, just without recording. Right. Yeah. I really, really value your friendship and I admire you and I look up to you and I, and I, I just, I just think you're great. Oh. <laughs> oh. Don't worry. They can't see it. They can't see it. <laughs> you can though. Okay. 
It's true, I can, and I love the blessing. <laughs> We have it, episode two of Grief Bacon. Thank you so much for listening. Um, please share the podcast if you liked it or if you know somebody who might want to hear other people talking about these things. Uh, if you have any suggestions or feedback, you can leave us an audio message via Anchor. You can send us an email, griefbaconpodcast at gmail.com. You could also send us a message on Instagram, griefbaconpodcast uh, is our at at did I say that right yeah I think I said that right anyhow thanks for listening and stay tuned for more conversations between friends about the full experience of being human bye